Good morning. Go ahead and open in your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 1. And we will continue our series in Acts. Already moving at a blistering pace. I know, you know, buckle up. We're, we're just flying, right? So um, we're going to be reading in uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 14 today, and talking about kind of a, a verse that is very well known and it's kind of programmatic for the rest of the book of Acts. It kind of provides an outline in advance of the things that are going to happen. And uh, But it does more than that, uh, particularly focusing on chapter 1 and verse 8. It does more than that. It doesn't just give an outline for what you're about to read. It really kind of gives the the purpose of the church. And uh, I I was asked a question this week that that um, I don't get asked too often. Should children be dismissed for children's church? All right. I guess children are dismissed for children's church. Thank you, Bobby Lynn. So I got asked a question this week that... Um, Surprised me a, a little bit, but it was uh, it was one I was prepared to answer, but I don't get asked a whole lot. And that was, uh, Brennan, what is what is your purpose or what is your mission? Why are you here and what are you doing? I, I get asked, what are you doing? Quite a bit, but <laughs> but uh, why are you here? And uh, and so I, I thought about that question and and uh, gave an answer to it. And I think the answer really is tied up in our passage today of of why I'm here or why I believe God has put me on this earth and, and called me to be his child. But it isn't just for me. I mean, that might be informative and might be mildly interesting for you to know what my purpose is. But really, this is a giving in in verse eight of the purpose of the church. And so it's a it's a big deal and it's a big announcement and it's a big point that is being made in this section right here about the purpose of the church. And if you remember, we asked the question last week, you know, Jesus is alive. So now what? Now what's going to happen in the church? Now what do we do? The fact that that Jesus has has gone to the cross and he has paid the ultimate uh, price and that is the price for us, paying that penalty for our sins on the cross. He's paid that and he died for that. He did so willingly and then he was laid to rest. He was buried and then God raised him from the dead, thereby uh, demonstrating that that, uh, God accepted his offering and that in fact Jesus is the Son of God and that uh, this is all a plan from God and not just a grand story that Jesus had made up. And so we have God's confirmation in the resurrection. And so the, the, the disciples had been traveling with Jesus all this time and, and they had been ministering with him and seen him minister and all that. And now things are changed and he's raised from the dead and he's, he's, he, what, what now? So what now? And uh, so we talked about that last week in light of really the whole book of Acts and kind of the direction that it's going to go and how it relates to the Christian life. But I sort of want to ask the same question this morning as regards the purpose of the church in general. So what now? What now? And we'll see as we read uh, our verses 16, 6 through 14 that that's kind of the same question that the disciples have. So if you will uh, turn your Bibles, Acts chapter 1, if you haven't already, starting in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word that it is truth, that it is from you, it is reliable and infallible. It guides us. It tells us true things about you and about us and about life. It tells us about salvation in Christ. Father, I pray that you would bless our time this morning as we seek to understand what your word says and what it means for Parkside, what it means in general, and what it means for Parkside, what it means for Parkside in 2018. So, Father, I pray for your blessing. I pray that you would be honored. I pray that you would be lifted up, that we would leave here knowing you better, understanding you better, but knowing you better uh, personally. Be glorified in our time. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so the disciples come to Jesus, and Jesus had been talking about the kingdom of God, and, and that was part of what he was teaching them during the days when they were together, and he was discussing various things, including the kingdom of God, there it says in, in verse 3, and then he moves on to start talking about the Holy Spirit who's going to come, and they will be clothed with power from on high, and they will be baptized in the, in the Spirit not many days hence, and so the, this is all language that for the disciples who knew their Bibles, they knew that this was talking about the end times. This is talking about when God sets up his final kingdom on the earth, the, the spirit coming. That's, that's eschatological language that's talking about the end times and, and, uh, and all these things that Jesus is talking about. He's been teaching about the kingdom. And so naturally they ask the question, you know, observing that Jesus was now raised from the dead and, and, and observing these things. And they say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And so they come out and they ask him, what, what's going on? What, what's going to happen now? And, of course, it's about the kingdom because they see all of these signs and they hear all of this language that it's going to be now. The kingdom is going to be consummated now. And Jesus is going to set himself up as king and he's going to reign. And, and this is going to be now because everything's in place. And he just said, yeah, you were baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Spirit not many days from now. And they get the message, right? And so they come to Jesus and they, they say, Jesus, is it, is it now? It's got to be soon, right? They're thinking about the kingdom that's to come. And Jesus answers and he says, first of all, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. That's, that's God's domain. God has not told us that. He hasn't told us when all things will be drawn to a close. We should stop trying to figure that out. 
right? I, I preached a sermon several years ago when, when uh, a man had, had prophesied that the world was going to end on that Saturday morning. And so I, you know, because he was sure of it from the Bible, sure of his calculations. And of course he was wrong. And he had been wrong several times before and he was wrong a few more times after that. We don't know. It's not for us to know. That's part of the secret things that belong to God of when all things will be drawn to a conclusion. And so that's the first thing that Jesus says. But then he moves on to talk about the kingdom. I don't think he changes his topic of conversation when we move from verse 7 to verse 8. Verse 7, he says, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I don't think he changed topics. He had been talking about the kingdom and they asked about a particular aspect or a particular understanding or a particular event in the kingdom. And Jesus says, well, that part you're not going to know beforehand when it's going to happen. But let me tell you about this kingdom of God that you're talking about. Not, not the consummation, not the conclusion of it, not how it's all going to end or how it's all going to be wrapped up. But let me tell you about how this kingdom is going to be here and now in a very real sense. Not a final sense, but in a very real sense here and now. And so he says, he says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and, and to the end of the earth. And so he talks about this kingdom and it's a, it's a kingdom that's not just going to be established and, and the walls built or whatever of this kingdom set up. And this is, these are the boundaries of God's kingdom. That's not what it's going to be like. The kingdom of God is an expanding kingdom. It's a kingdom that's moving outwards. First of all, it's expanding geographically, right? He's starting with Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth there. And so, of course, Jerusalem is where they were at the time. Right? That was where, or very near, where they were having that conversation. And more than that, the Jews knew to look to Jerusalem for salvation in a very real sense. That's where the temple was. There wasn't supposed to be another one built somewhere else, if you read your Old Testament. So they were to look to Jerusalem. They were looking for, uh, for salvation to come from Jerusalem. And of course, Jesus had just told the disciples, what we discussed last week, that they're to wait in Jerusalem until they receive the promise from the Father. And so it's going to start in Jerusalem right there and it's going to emanate out. And so that's where the Holy Spirit is going to come. We're going to see that happen in the beginning of next chapter. Starts in Jerusalem like a little seed, like a tiny point, And then it goes out, right, in all Judea, right? Judea is kind of a surrounding countryside where uh, Jerusalem is located. And so it's outside of town and it's, it's kind of a larger region and Jerusalem is sort of the capital. And, and so it's that surrounding region that the truth of the gospel is going to expand out. It's not just going to stay there, but it's going to move out and it's going to move even into Judea and Samaria, right? You know, Samaria, if you know your, uh, you've, you've read through your history of your Bible, you've read through even just in the gospels, you, you get a taste for, for what they thought about the Samaritans. Right? Go to John chapter 4 and read there and you'll learn about how they felt about the Samaritans. And they were, they were sort of half-breeds and they were despised and they, they didn't worship God right. And they, you know, all that whole discussion. And so, um, but it's a, it's a neighboring land. It's the land to the north. In, in the, the divided 
um, monarchy time period after uh, King Saul that was united when there was one kingdom and, and then under King David there was one kingdom it was all united and then Solomon it was one kingdom it was all united and then after that the, the kingdom of Israel had been divided into two the south was called Judah here it's referred to as Judea and the north which was called Israel had its capital in in uh, Samaria and so that ended up be, being called Samaria and so that area to the north they're sort of like the you know, black sheeps of the family. We don't even really want to claim them as family. And, and in fact, we don't. And we, we would rather travel around them to get all the way up to Galilee. And so you have this uh, land of Samaria. It's a neighboring region and it's kind of despised. And so they, they, uh, the gospel is going to start in Jerusalem and it's going to expand in Judea and even go to Samaria. And so it's moving across borders and it's going into foreign places. And so you have Samaria and then it's going to go to the end of the earth. And so it will not have boundaries. It will go all the way to the end. It's going to keep progressing. It's going to keep expanding. And um, some scholars think that this refers to Rome, which if you think about the plot of the book of Acts, Paul ends up taking the gospel to Rome, and he's going to be able to stand before Caesar and proclaim the gospel there. And through that, the capital of the world, essentially, the gospel would ring forth everywhere from Rome. And so... Whether it means Rome or not, it still means the end of the earth. And so uh, you have this expanding kingdom. It's expanding geographically, right? So we've talked about the geography of how it's expanding, but it's more than that because it's also expanding ethnically. Not just geographically, but ethnically. And that's not talking about particular regions and the borders and the boundaries uh, only. It's talking about how salvation is to come from Jerusalem, which was the capital of the Jews, and it's going to expand to, to uh, Judea, and of course that's that region. But you notice how it says, in all Judea and Samaria. It kind of ties them together. It connects them in a closer way, really, probably than the Jews would have liked. It, it says, in all Judea and Samaria. It's talking about one region. Why is it talking about one region? Well, if you think back historically, they used to be one nation. And so God is in the process of restoring that nation, that the gospel is going to go out to the whole nation of what used to be Israel and then later was divided in the divided monarchy period into Judah and Israel. And so there's going to be uh, an ethnic crossing of boundaries with the gospel. That even these people that the Jews really despised and they really looked down on, they really hated them and would rather travel, you know, walk extra miles to go around their country rather than interact with these people, the gospel will go to those hated people. And there's going to be a reunification. The gospel is going to bring those people together. And so you have this expanding ethnically. But those are just children of Abraham. Those are all... Those are all Jews in a sense, not the pure term of Jew, but, but children of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. These are the children of promise, the, the, the Samaritans and the Judeans, the, the Jews. And so it's not just that, though. It's not, the gospel is not just going to go to the children of promise in that Old Testament sense, the children of Abraham, but it's going to go to the end of the earth. It's even going to come to dirty Gentiles like you and like me. That the gospel is going to expand out. It keeps going and crossing boundaries, not just geographical boundaries into other languages and all that kind of stuff, but it's, gonna, it's going to expand around the world and in all different people groups across, across ethnicities. And so you have this fulfilling of what was supposed to happen, the things that were promised back in the Old Testament, but that are... Uh, that were kind of derailed in a sense. God is sovereign, but, but the nation of Israel certainly didn't follow those things out. 
So a quick pop quiz for you. What's our memory verse for this month? The memory verse has to do with the nations. Right? Psalm 117. What does that say? Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. It doesn't just say Jews. You faithful Jews, praise the Lord because He's good. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. For great is His steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. The, 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 the gospel, the, the truth of salvation in God, God's working was meant from the beginning to go throughout the whole world. That was the, the instruction that had been given to the Jews. Now, that's not really how it played out. They sort, of, they sort of sat back on it, and they kind of developed an us-versus-them mentality, and we're the children of promise, and we're the chosen ones, and, and you, you Gentile dogs are kind of on the outside, and, and we're going to keep salvation here. And if you really want to get to know God, if you really want to be saved, if you want to be made right with Him, you need to become a Jew first. And so you go through the process of becoming a Jew, and of course not, that didn't happen very often. Israel was meant to be a missionary nation. The gospel was supposed to go forward. If you think about the promise to Abraham... It was supposed, he was supposed to be a blessing for all nations, right? And so you have this expectation of, the, of the, the nation of Israel that they had not followed through. And so now in the establishment of the kingdom of God through Jesus, you're going to see the gospel going forward. And it's going to go into all parts of the world, not just geographically, but ethnically as well. And so that's a truth of, the, of the, the, the kingdom of God that the people kind of misunderstood. They kind of saw it as an established Jesus is going to reign here and you bad guys will be out there and, and it's us versus them kind of idea. That was not the case. And so he was going to expand it and he was going to move and the kingdom of God was going to go forward. So you have this expanding kingdom. That's something they didn't quite understand. Right? You, but you also have in the book of Acts, we're going to see consistently throughout uh, the book and in uh, the church itself, you're going to see spirit-empowered action. Right? If you've read the book of Acts, and I encourage you over the next months to read the book of Acts and just, just start over and reread it again, and it doesn't take that long to finish. And, and so you could read it several times during our preaching through this, and it will help you understand what we're talking about. But as you read the book of Acts, you see a lot of spirit-empowered action. Right? You're about to see in the beginning of chapter 2 some wild things happen. Right? You're gonna, the building is going to shake and there's going to be a, a loud rushing noise like it's a manifestation of the Spirit that's audible and, and visible. Right, And you're going to see tongues like fire come and rest on people and, and you're seeing this big stuff happen. You're going um, to see people healed. People who were born lame, they're going to be healed. And so the Spirit is empowering them to do miraculous actions. He's going to show Himself strong in that way. You're going to see people raised from the dead. That's the Spirit at work doing miraculous actions. And so in that sense, when you read the book of Acts, we see a lot of fireworks. But as you search through and you think about the, the filling of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, it more often has to do with speech. And so you have not only Spirit-empowered action, but you have Spirit-empowered speech. And you'll see that again and again, uh, one or other of the apostles was filled with the Spirit and begins to speak. All, all, right away in the beginning of chapter 2, you're going to see that they speak using miraculous tongues, languages they didn't know. And they're speaking and they're preaching in those languages. And so that's, that's uh, Spirit-empowered preaching. But you're going to see more than that, that Peter is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and he's going to stand up and he's going to preach the gospel to the religious leaders who had arrested him. 
You're going to see that in chapter 4. And so Peter, standing up, filled with the Spirit, spoke to them. And he proclaims the gospel in the power of the Spirit. The power of the same Spirit who does miraculous stuff, he also gives uh, a speech that is empowered by the Holy Spirit for the kingdom of God. You're going to see that Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit when he uh, later on will rebuke uh, Elimus the, ma- the magician. He rebukes him and he actually kind of pronounces a curse on him and he couldn't see for a while and he was kind of being led around. That's he, Paul was filled with the Spirit and he stood up and he spoke to him. And so throughout the book of Acts, we're going to see that the Holy Spirit fills people sometimes to do miraculous things like we see, but more often it has to do with speaking the gospel. It has to do with the power of the gospel itself. And so that's, uh, that's part of our expectation as we're studying through this is we're going to see some fireworks, but we're going to see and understand that, that, that the Spirit of God is given not just to do visible, outward-working things, but primarily even to empower the preaching of the gospel, to draw people to Himself. And so you have Spirit-empowered speech as well as Spirit-empowered action. So that's the empowering Spirit who's going to be characteristic of this kingdom of God. The, the disciples were right when they, they heard Jesus talking about the baptism of the Spirit. You're going to be clothed with power from on high and you'll receive power. They, they were right in identifying all that stuff with the kingdom of God. Their timing was a little off, but they were right in identifying that with the kingdom of God. The kingdom is... Uh, identified, it's characterized by the working of the Holy Spirit. And so we see that throughout, uh, throughout the book of Acts and really throughout the New Testament. You see that the Holy Spirit empowers speech. And so we have the empowering Spirit. But we also have the enlisted apostles, right? The apostles are central to this whole thing. They, they've been trained by Jesus. They've been with Him for a long period of time. And, and they were instructed by Him. They ministered with Him. And they are the ones who are going to be the, the core, really, of the gospel going out is the, uh, the apostles themselves. But we'll see that, that though they were an authority and a high authority, an unimaginable and unprecedented authority, yet they themselves were under authority. So they, they themselves weren't the... Uh, the, the final authority. They themselves were under authority. And so they had been given unprecedented uh, authority and power and they were going to go and speak the gospel and they were going to uh, baptize and teach and make disciples and they were going to do all of these things. And yet, think about their recent history. So we're in the book of Acts, but think back to the end of the gospels and how were they doing? How were these same men doing? They were running for mama, right? When Jesus was arrested, when Jesus was, you know, being beaten and he was crucified, they fled. They ran away. They had shown themselves not to be strong leaders, but instead to be weak. And so they knew by looking at themselves, they, and they didn't have to look very far back. I mean, think of Peter. Peter himself, who had been the one most vehemently to say, these, these other guys, they, they might deny you, Jesus, but I will never, I will die with you. And then some hours later, he's, he's saying to a little girl who's asking him questions, I don't even know that guy. I, I, I never met him. I don't even know him. He denies Jesus, and he does so three times. So you, here you have Peter, and Peter knows his own heart, and he sees his track record, and so do the rest of them. And so they're told to wait, and they're going to wait. Because, first of all, Jesus is in charge. He's the one who tells them what to do, but he's going to give them his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit who's going to work in, inside of them. And so they're told to wait and they do wait. 
because they don't want to go forward in their own power. They've seen what that can do. And so they want to go forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you have them being under authority. You also have them being united in prayer, right? So they're told to wait. They're told that the, the Holy Spirit will come upon them and, and, um, and He's going to empower them and all those things. But you have, you have them gathering together. They walk back after having just seen Jesus ascend to the Father. And they gather together in prayer. They're going to pray. Probably because they know their own weakness. And they know that the mission's about to start but also in preparation for the coming Holy Spirit. And Jesus had said He's coming. And so they go and they gather together. They, they're united in prayer. They're seeking God in all of this. And so uh, you, have, you have those same apostles who later on will be doing amazing things and speaking very boldly before leaders of the world. But they know that they are under authority and they know that they better unite in prayer and seek God's blessing and seek God's will and seek the moving of the Spirit before they move forward at all because they, the mighty apostles, are as weak as kittens. And so you have them being united in prayer. So these are aspects of the kingdom of God. And and, uh, so you've got these enlisted apostles who are central to all that's going to happen with the mission that's going to go forward. But you've also got an enthroned king. And that's... That's characteristic of this kingdom, that it has a king, and the king is reigning, and he's, he's enthroned. You read the, the description of what happens with Jesus when he ascends to the Father. You see there in verse 9, it says, When he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So I don't know what that looked like. This is the best description that could be given is that he was lifted up and then he was received by a cloud and the cloud hid him or the cloud took him away. He was ascending to be back with the Father. Well, if you know, thinking through what you know about clouds in the Bible, probably the closest reference we would have here would be back uh, in Luke chapter 9, the Mount of Transfiguration. So Jesus and three of the, of the disciples go up on the mountain. And what happens? Jesus is transformed. He's transfigured. He looks different. He's wearing bright clothes. And suddenly he looks, he's, it's like a peak at his glory, right? And he's, he's talking there with, uh, with, with um, uh, Moses and Elijah. And he's having this conversation. And then at the end of it, how does it all conclude? A cloud conceals him. Conceals the whole situation. Because this is having to do with the glory of God. In Scripture, the idea of a cloud very often is an expression of uh, a picture of the glory of God being present. And so you see that at the Mount of Transfiguration. But we just finished the book of Exodus, right, last year. And think about all the times the cloud appeared there. Sometimes a cloud would come and rest on the tabernacle. And the presence of the cloud meant that even Moses, the man of God, wasn't able to enter, right? And then you have, you have the, 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 the cloud and the pillar of fire leading the nation of Israel as they were going. So this is a representation of the glory of God. And so flash back to our scene here. It's not just that he went behind a, you know, a whiff of cloud and I can't see him anymore. This is a representation of him going to glory. You had Jesus standing there talking to them face to face. And then he is lifted up and a cloud takes him away. And so you have him ascending to glory. And so that's, that's all just within the word cloud right there. But there's another passage that, that this brings to mind. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chap, chapter 7 has a lot to do with Jesus. <clears throat> Listen to verses 13 and 14. 
This is Daniel speaking. He said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Do you hear some familiar language to what's going on here? Even the mention of languages, the mention of different peoples. And you have, what did Jesus refer to himself so often as? The Son of Man comes from here, the Son of Man. And so people listening to him knew he was making a comment about himself more than, hey, just this guy or this human, I'm really human. He's making a reference to Daniel 7. And so you have this idea of one like a son of man, right? And how did he come? He, he rides on the clouds. They call him the cloud rider. That's who Jesus is. He shows up on a cloud. He leaves on a cloud. And here in our, our picture that we have in Daniel chapter 7, he shows up on the cloud before the Ancient of Days. He's prevent, presented before the Ancient of Days. That's the Father. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should, should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so you have pictures, even in Acts chapter 1, that this is being fulfilled right now. That Jesus didn't just disappear. He went to reign. And that's where he is right now. He's reigning. He's received this kingdom. He's been given this. He is reigning on high. He took off on a cloud. Daniel 7 says he shows up on a cloud to be presented before the Ancient of Days. And so you have King Jesus reigning over all things. And so you have this great picture of Jesus uh, being, he's ascending, he's going back to the Father and even a cloud picks him up. One commentator said it's, you know, they, they sent the family chariot to get him. And I kind of like that. You know, that's kind of what's going on. And so he's, he's going back to the Father. And so you have, you have Jesus reigning. And that's characteristic of the kingdom of God is that there is a king on the throne. And that king, of course, is King Jesus. And he is on the throne and he's reigning. And, and uh, he's, he's given dominion, a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages will serve him, right? We see that happening and beginning to happen in the book of Acts. And so you have him ascending, and that means a whole lot about where he is. He's reigning, and there's going to come a time when he will be returning, right? He will return. So the apostles are standing there, and they're gazing into heaven, and I don't really blame them, you know. Jesus just left, and they're kind of looking and gazing and wondering, what does this mean, and when's he coming back? Is it going to be right now? Uh, I don't know. And so they're, they're kind of waiting, and all of a sudden, two angels are standing beside him. And these two angels are standing there and they say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Why, why are you looking up there? He's going to come back in just the same. This same Jesus, you just saw him go into heaven. He's going to come back in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. He's going to return. He's coming back. And so Jesus is returning, and there will be a time in the future, we don't know when, he says we're not going to know when, that's, a, that's God's secret, that's the Father's knowledge, that's a secret thing of him, Deuteronomy 20, 29, 29, that, that we're not going to figure out. But there will come a time when he returns and he sets up his, his kingdom physically, literally on this earth, and that will be him reigning, and that will be the final consummation of all things. And so there will come a time when everything is wrapped up, when everything is tied together, when it all comes to an end. But it's not yet. And this brings us to where we are. Where we are in the story. 
You see, we've, we've heard and we've proclaimed the gospel and we've come to believe the gospel. We've, we've seen our guilt before God. We've come to understand from Scripture our own uh, limitations is the very most positive way to put that. We are actually fallen sinners before Him. We're finite, we're tiny, and we break His law. We rebel against Him and that's deep in our hearts. That's the way we're born and we as a race, that's what we do. And so we deserve God's judgment, but that judgment was placed on Jesus himself, the Son of God, who, who came down willingly to atone for our sins. And so we know that, and we've heard about the gospel, and we've heard about salvation in Christ, and we've placed our f- faith in him, and we've been forgiven of those things, and we don't have to earn God's favor, and we don't have to polish up our acts so that God will think we're really great, that uh, God knows better, and we know better. The more we learn about ourselves in the Bible, the more we learn that we're not really uh, great, right? We're, we're fallen and we're sinful. And so we've learned that. We know these things. We know that we've been redeemed because of what Christ has done. Now what? Now what's going to happen? Is it that we get redeemed, we trust Christ, and then the, we just sit around and wait for the kingdom to come? That's the question. That's the question for you and me. And that's the question that the angels are addressing. And that's the same question Jesus was answering. They said, is the kingdom going to come right now? Are you going to set it up? Is it now? Like, you know, maybe I get my affairs in order and it'll be next week. Like, I don't know. Is is it going to be really soon? And Jesus said, well, you're not going to know the time of the final consummation of it. But here's how the kingdom of God will be brought to this earth in the meantime. The church, the redeemed people of God, who are now empowered by the Holy Spirit, will, will go out as witnesses. And they will proclaim in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth they will proclaim the gospel of salvation in Christ they will proclaim the kingdom of God and in that way in the preaching of the gospel in the proclamation of those truths the kingdom of God in a very real sense here and now comes to this world and so the angels rebuke the men of Galilee for why are you standing there looking into heaven why are you peeking that way why are you focused on that as if that's the only experience of the kingdom of God. You're looking up here when you should be looking around here. He's given us work to do, and it's not just a work that we do like we should go be about this stuff. We have a desire to have the kingdom of God. We have a desire to, to worship King Jesus. We have a desire to know Him in that, in that way. We, we want the kingdom to be final. We can't wait until the, the kingdom is, is consummated finally. He says, well, it's not going to happen yet, but here's what you can do. You can get a foretaste of it right now. You can bring that to other people. And that's what the purpose of the church is. To be the Holy Spirit-empowered witnesses of the gospel to this world and thereby bring the kingdom of God to them in a very real sense, practically, here and now in this world. The consummation will come at some point in the future. We don't know when. But right now, this isn't just our task. This is our purpose. You want the kingdom of God. You want to be in, you, you, you want to have that. You want to be involved in the kingdom of God. You want to see that. You can't wait for that. He says, well, you're going to have to wait for it. But here's what you can do in the meantime. Bring it in this way. Bring the kingdom of God to this earth. As you, by the power of the Spirit, witness to, testify to salvation in Christ, the kingdom of God grows and expands on this earth. And so we have an experience of it. It's not a full and final experience. We all know that. You know that just by being here this morning. We love being together. And sometimes sometimes it's difficult because we're human and we're still broken and we rub on each other. And 
So it's not just a task that's given to us. He's saying, you want the kingdom of God? Yeah, we do. That's why we're looking into heaven, waiting for it. Jesus, when are you going to set it up? Here's how you can have the kingdom of God. You will receive the Holy Spirit, redeemed people, and you will go forth and you will be witnesses. And the expansion of that kingdom will be the fulfillment of what happens on earth in Deuteronomy chapter 7. We have the same thing back in, in Isaiah chapter 44. God talking uh, to his people and says, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. And we have that being fulfilled now. And so the kingdom of God expands and it grows and it goes forward. And it's not complete and it's not perfect in, 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 in our experience of it here and now. But it is the kingdom of God. And it comes through the proclamation of his word. By the way, that's, that's a reason why we are Parkside Bible Fellowship. That's the reason we have our Bibles open and we encourage you to have your Bible open because this is God's authority that he's, he's put down before us so that we can judge all things according to the Word and it's not just my thoughts or my ideas or your feelings or experience or mine or any of those things. We have the Word of God, which is the authority that's been given to us. And he says that we are to be witnesses a witness tells of what he's seen. I haven't seen Jesus with my naked eyes, but I read about him in here. I know about him as he's testified to in all of Scripture. And so I witness to the world in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we gather around the Word, which is the testimony, the written testimony about Christ. And this is the kingdom of God growing and expanding. When we sit here, when we, when we listen to the proclamation of the Word, and when we take this, we take that gospel to our neighbors and share it with them. It's not just a task that we've been given as if it's one of many or as if you really just ought to do this thing. That's not what it is. He's saying, I know you want the kingdom. Here's a foretaste. Here's how you can be involved in a foretaste of it right now. He says, you will be spirit-empowered witnesses to take the message of the gospel to all the world. And so there's a, there's a point of application here for us. In my own Christian life, I can testify to you that as I began to learn about eschatology and study that and places I went to school and whatnot, it, it developed in me a desire for the coming kingdom of God and I found myself like this. Looking up and gazing up into heaven, waiting for Jesus to return. When's it going to be? What's it going to look like? And my attention is focused up here. And so just like the apostles were chastised by, by these angels... The message for us is also, why are we gazing into heaven? Why are we gazing into heaven? We've been put here to be witnesses here, to testify here, to people here. And in that, we experience a foretaste, a preview of the final kingdom of God in our midst. And so let's not be consumed with wondering about that or looking up there or being being so taken with the coming kingdom that we forget where we are now and what we have to do now and what he's empowered us by his holy spirit to do and so i don't want to be gazing off i don't want us as a church to be gazing off let's take the gospel to people around us. Let's participate in it that way. We're participating in what's going on uh, in Acts chapter 1-8, what he talks about. We're participating in that right now. 
as we proclaim with you the kingdom of God. And so, this is our mission, Parkside. This is the mission of the church that we have in the book of Acts, but this is our mission. This is what God has given us to do, and it's not, it's not a, a stringent, white-knuckled, you better go uh, to the front lines, and, and uh, you better work hard at it, and yeah, we should work hard, and we should go to the front lines and all those things, but it's not a task that we've been given only. But it's a, it's a privilege that we have. You, wanna, you, you want that kingdom? You want a foretaste of it? Here's how you do it. And God has designed the church to be that and to function as that as we proclaim God's word. And so that's why we at Parkside proclaim God's word. And that's why we want to take the gospel to other people that they can become members of. They can join in the kingdom of God. Because remember, it's not an us versus them. We're not building a wall around the kingdom of God. We're inviting people in with the gospel. We are testifying. We are witnesses of Christ. And so we as a church have that as our purpose. We have that as our mission, that we are going to testify to Christ to the world around us. Sometimes that means going to Peru. Sometimes that means going to Africa. Very often it means opening your mouth at work and sharing with your coworker. Very often it means talking to your neighbor over the backyard over the over the back fence or or someone opening your mouth and sharing the gospel and testifying to Christ that's our purpose that's our mission and that's what we what we want to be about we want to see the kingdom of god in this sense from from acts 1:8 we want to see the kingdom of god growing and expanding and we want to invite other people in we want to experience it ourselves it's a foretaste of what's to come and we want to see others included in the same thing And so Parkside, this is our purpose. This is our mission. This is what we are about. That's why we preach the way we preach. That's why we share the gospel when we have opportunity to share the gospel. This is why we testify to Christ. This is why we send missionaries. This is why we send a large portion of all of the money that's, that's, uh, that's given here to missionaries to support missions, that the gospel might go forward in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's our purpose. That's what we're about. He says he will empower it by his Holy Spirit. And I praise the Lord for that. And so I was asked the question this week, what's your purpose, Brandon? What's your your mission? What do you think your mission is? This is our mission. This is what we're about. This is what we're to be about. When we talk about budget stuff tonight, you will see that it is about this. When we talk about where we've been in 2017, you'll see that it's about this. When we talk about 2018, looking forward, and we'll see that it's about this. And so I encourage you all to be there tonight at, at uh, 530. We'll get to eat beforehand and then, and then we'll, we'll talk about um, our budget. We'll talk about other things that we've been involved in, being involved in what Jesus is talking about here in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And so I encourage you to be there. You will be encouraged. You will be encouraged. And I encourage you to join in and, and, and work with us as we seek to experience that foretaste and bring, that for, to bring the kingdom of God to people around us. I encourage you to do that. That's why we exist as a church, to do those things in order to glorify Christ. And so that's, that's why we're here. And, and this, is a, this is a powerful passage in my mind to set the tone. It's not just programmatic as if it, uh, it's giving an outline for the book of Acts. It does that. But it's so much more than that. It's giving, it's giving the church a mission. And it's, it, I, I want to own that as my mission. And I want you to own that as your mission that we would pull forward together on this, seeking Christ in this way, seeking the kingdom of God in this way. So I'm going to pray for us now, and we will be done. And I encourage you, 
uh, that if you need if you need prayer, maybe something about this has convicted you, or maybe there's something else that uh, a, a relationship or a difficulty or a thing to praise the Lord about. That's always allowed too. You can come forward. We're going to have a family up here to pray with you. They would love to pray with you, to praise the Lord with you, to to cry out to the Lord on your behalf. I would encourage you to do that. Let's pray together now. Father, I thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit to live within us, who empowers us to be your witnesses in places where we're comfortable and places that make sense and places that are very uncomfortable and places that do not make sense and sometimes they're expensive to get there and they might be dangerous to us like a moon and gazala. But you have empowered us by your Spirit to be witnesses and in so doing we get to have a foretaste of the kingdom of God that will ultimately finally in your timing be finalized be consummated on this earth but until then we get to participate we get to experience it we get to bring it to others we get to see it and live in it and know the kingdom of God even now I thank you for this Father I thank you for your work in us in the church I thank you for redeeming me and calling me into the kingdom of God and for all those in here that you have and if if there are those who don't yet know you Father I pray that you would draw them even now that they would confess their sin before you they would turn from it and they would turn to Christ that they would trust in him that they would lean on him knowing that his his payment of this of the the penalty that they owed was perfect and complete and we can know that because Jesus raised was raised from the dead I pray that you would draw people to yourself even this morning. Father, we love you and we trust you. And we pray for your blessing on, uh, on our coming week as we, as we operate in this fa- fashion, as we are spirit-empowered witnesses to people around us. I pray that you would empower us, that you would bless us, that the gospel would go forth in our own speech and our own actions uh, from our church, through our missionaries and all that we do. I pray that the gospel would go forward. Father, I pray also for your blessing on our meeting tonight as we talk about where we have been and where we are headed. Bless that time. May it be encouraging to us and honoring to you. May it be exciting to see what you are doing. Father, we love you and we trust you and we pray in Jesus' name. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen and amen. God bless you and you're dismissed.